When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Thursday to you and yours. It's the day before Friday. Uh, fantastic, great, awesome, tremendous, stupendous. I can't think of any more words. The show's going to be off the chains. Uh, we're going to start. We'll roll out to Las Vegas and bring in Rashad McCants. He'll be the first to react to my fire starter. Uh, then we'll visit with the Korean co-sell, uh, Steve Kim. Uh, we're going to bring back in Dr. Boyce Watkins, friend of the show. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Joe Biden's crack pipes uh, or smoking kits, safe smoking kits. I think that's where we're going. Let's take crack pipes off the table. Joe Biden's safe smoking kits. We'll do that with Dr. Boyce Watkins and Dave Shannon. Dave Shannon will kind of come in and react to everything. Uh, that kind of transpires on today's show. Steve Kim, I, I should mention, we're going to talk about Byron Allen and his candidacy uh, to be a NFL owner. Uh, but, you know, as we like to do here, uh, we're going to start with a fire. Uh, so let me rub my hands together, rub some sticks together, see if we can get this fire started uh, today. I hope you guys on YouTube, YouTube, uh, com slash Jason Whitlock or hitting that subscribe, hitting the likes button. You're, you're recruiting people to join us here in the Fearless Army. It's been a great, tremendous week of shows so far. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. But this is going to be the best show of the week. Uh, yesterday, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell fielded questions from reporters in Los Angeles covering Super Bowl week. The NFL Network's Jim Trotter, a well-respected football reporter, asked Goodell about the league's alleged failure to hire blackhead coaches, general managers, team presidents, or bring on a black team owner. Uh, Trotter's black. <clears throat> He's an elder among NFL reporters. He's worked at Sports Illustrated, ESPN, covered the Chargers for years at the San Diego Union Tribune. I've known Jim Trotter for years and respect his work. His very long-winded question to Goodell implied that anti-black racism is the only explanation for the NFL why they haven't been able to meet the quotas that they want to hit for black coaches, general managers, team presidents, and ownership. According to Trotter, if the league was truly committed to diversity, inclusion, and equity, it would have far more black men in all field positions of leadership and ownership. Listen to Trotter's question for yourself. Hey, Roger, uh, Jim Trotter. The question is more for the owners, but also for you. And since they're not here, I'll ask you, as I always say, um, in your initial statement, the league's initial statement is said that diversity, equity, and inclusion were core principles of the NFL. And I need to provide some, some context before I can ask you about that statement. 
in the 100 plus year history of this league, 24 of 32 franchises have either had one black head coach or no black, excuse me, no black head coaches. And to make sure I get the names right, I'll read them off here. We've got the Bills, the Commanders, the Cowboys, the Falcons, the Giants, the Jaguars, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Rams, the Ravens, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Titans, who have never had a black head coach. That's nearly half the league. We look at the fact that there's never been a majority black owner. There's only been one black club president. We look at the GMs, now we're up to seven. Five of those were hired in the last 12 months. We're now at three black head coaches, two of whom were hired after Brian Flores uh, filed his lawsuit. So it's easy to focus on the owners here, but I wanna put this to you here. When we look at the league office of the top 11 executives there, there are only two people of color. When we look at NFL Media Group where I work, there is not one black person at the senior level in the newsroom um, who makes decisions about a league whose player population is 70% black. So as a member of the media group and as a black man, I ask, why does the NFL and its owners have such a difficult time at the highest levels hiring black people into decision-making positions? Mm. Uh, That's a mouthful. That's a long-winded question. Uh, He injected himself uh, into the question. Uh, He personalized it, talked about uh, the bosses he answers to at the NFL Network. Um, Jim Trotter made himself part of the story here. Uh, I think his logic is flimsy. That logic, that flimsy logic is never applied to on-field positions. As Trotter noted, 70% of the league's players are black. Corporate media will never stand before Goodell and wonder why in a country that is 64% white and 50% female, why are there not more white men and women dotting NFL rosters? Trotter and everyone else assumes that the NFL reserves its highest paid positions for the most qualified regardless of race. Things only turn racist when it comes to off-field decision-making positions. There, NFL owners ignore qualifications and make race-based decisions. Everybody got that? So on the field, Jim Trotter and everyone agrees, man, they just give the jobs to the best people. Off the field, we don't assume that. Everything's race-based and it needs to be a reflection of the number of employees. If there's 76% employees, well, damn it, there should at least be 30%, 40%, whatever. They won't name the number, but there just needs to be more black people in these off-field decision-making positions. And if there isn't, the only explanation is racism. That could be, that's the only thing that could explain it. Couldn't be qualifications. I know the qualifications justify the on-field positions, but off the field, qualifications should be thrown off the, uh, out the window and there are these specific quotas that must be met, or it's just not fair. So Goodell played along with Trotter's loaded, intellectually dishonest and half-baked question. Goodell is white and scared. Trotter knows Goodell can't respond honestly. It could cost Goodell his $50 million a year job. 
Goodell danced. He accepted Trotter's premise that black success is totally dependent on the goodwill of white people. Listen to Roger Dance. Listen, um, we we look at the same numbers, and and uh, they're they're really part of the effort that, again, looking at how do we become more effective in our policies and procedures. Um, we work really hard. We believe in diversity. We believe in it as a value. We believe it's made it stronger. Uh, people who have come into the league who are diverse have been very successful and made us better. Uh, and we just have to do a better job. Uh, we have to look, is there another thing that we can do to make sure we're attracting that best talent here and making our league in inclusive? Um, if I had the answer right now, I would give it to you. I would have implemented it. Uh, I think what we have to do is just continue and find and look and step back and say, we're not doing a good enough job here. We need to find better solutions and better outcomes. And so let's make it, let's find more effective policies. Let's make sure everyone understands. Let's make sure that um, we're looking at diversity and actually incentivizing that for everybody in our building, including with compensation. Let's make sure that when we're dealing with vendors outside the building, we're hiring diverse vendors and bringing them in and giving them an opportunity to succeed just like we do with white vendors or people of color. Well, how can they come in and contribute to the NFL? So I think it's, it's not a single answer, Jim. Uh, the single responsibility comes on all of us in the NFL and we have to be the ones that make that change. And we are the ones that have to make sure we bring diversity deeper into our NFL and make the NFL an, an inclusive um, and diverse organization that allows everyone the opportunity to be successful. I hope everyone is seated and, and ha are prepared for what I'm about to say. But there's actually an alternative way to examine the plight of black men as it relates to high profile leadership positions in the NFL. I know that is blowing your mind. I, I know that you've been convinced that racism is the only way to look at this. That, that could be the only solution, answer. White people must improve themselves for black people to advance in this country. Oh, on this planet, really. I mean, without the improvement of white people, we are absolutely nothing. We are incapable of advancing ourselves. And so unless we can convince NFL ownership to love us and to pamper and spoil us and to give us jobs based on diversity, inclusion, and equity, not on qualifications. We haven't heard so far, I don't think we've heard Jim Trotter or, or Roger Goodell bring up, hey, well, let's get these jobs to the best qualified. And you know what? If I'm Roger Goodell, I say, you know what? I actually believe black men can make themselves the best qualified for this position. I believe that. And I believe that my ownership people that I know, that I deal with, when presented the opportunity, will hire that person if they believe they're the best qualified. And it's actually not race determining this. But I'm crazy, but I'm gonna give you an alternative 
way of looking at this. Let's start with the easiest one as it relates to ownership. If, if we were having an honest conversation, NFL teams now sell for three to five billion dollars. As of 2021, according to Forbes magazine, there were roughly 720 American billionaires. Seven of them are black. How many black people can afford to buy an NFL franchise? Let's just, let's just, 720 billionaires in America, seven are black. NFL teams sell for three to five billion. You gotta have a lot of money to buy an NFL team. And if you wanna be majority owner, you probably need to be worth two to five billion dollars. But right now, Byron Allen, a comedian and entrepreneur, with a net worth allegedly between 300 and 400 million dollars, desperately wants to buy the Denver Broncos. He's publicly campaigning for the right to buy the Broncos. Can Byron Allen afford it? Or would he simply be the token black face fronting an ownership bid of people who don't look like him? A lot of people would like to buy an NFL franchise. Should the NFL ignore more qualified applicants and give Allen's group a, a, a team to satiate Jim Trotter and other people who believe in the power of tokenism and good public relations? Will the lives of black people be improved if an NFL team has a black token owner? People who believe that are the same people who believe the Black Panther movie was critical to the advancement of black people. Wakanda forever. It changed America. Black kids now can dream of moving to Wakanda. Let's go to front office positions and head coaches. I've written and talked about this previously. There's a lot of competition to lead NFL franchises. Do we? It's a very difficult question, but it's an honest one. Do we, black people, undermine our candidate pool with our dysfunctional family structure? If 75% of our last two generations were raised in single parent households, do we believe there are no consequences from that? Our family structure is way outside of God's design. Do we think the charity of guilt-ridden white people can fix problems resulting from the destruction of the family unit from being way outside of God's design? Are white people, guilt-ridden white people, so powerful that if we construct a family structure, 75% of us out of line with what God intended, but white people are so powerful, they can fix that. Every achievement metric can be directly related to family structure. Kids raised in nuclear families outperform kids raised in single parent homes in virtually all endeavors. If the black candidate pool collectively has the lowest grades in junior high, high school and college, should we be surprised that our candidate pool underperforms when it comes to landing the most coveted and competitive jobs in America. I'm sorry, 
if that is difficult. But we have to deal with the truth and the facts. Our family structures are killing and destroying and undermining our kids. They're leading our kids to not perform at a level of other ethnic groups academically. We kill our own candidate pool with our irresponsible family structure. That's a fact. We have to deal with that. And so if we have constructed a family structure that's dysfunctional, grandparent-led, auntie-led, single mama, baby mama-led, and we can't compete with other ethnic groups from Latino to Asian to white who don't, construct, who don't build their families that way, we got to deal with this. The starting line dictates what happens at the finish line. If you start with bad, dysfunctional families, don't be shocked when the fruit of those families can't compete with the fruit of nuclear families. When it comes to leadership, do black athletes respect and respond well to black male leadership when they grow up in homes with no male leadership? Perhaps there's some resentment or bitterness left from feeling abandoned by your father. Perhaps that's why we maybe don't respond to male leadership, particularly black male leadership, the way that we should. Yesterday, I wrote and talked about a video the rapper Jim Jones released complaining about his treatment inside of a Gucci store in California. Here's some highlights from Jim Jones. Since we came in here having nobody came and showed us no courtesy, no amenities, no nothing. Period. Not even a drink of water. Asked to speak to manager. Send me a black guy out here to start telling me some bull****. So they got the black guy racial profiling on black people. Asked to speak to manager bigger than him. Everybody disappeared. Ain't nobody come out yet. I'm tired of this. We spending all this money as entertainers inside these stores. They hire these black people, and these black people are more racist than white people when they get their job inside of Gucci. All of a sudden, you, you stop playing with us, bro. Still haven't seen a manager yet. They sending this guy. What is he possibly going to do? You heard? What is he going to do? Is what I want to know. Still haven't seen a manager. Is there a manager that works here or everybody's just a worker? So just for clarity and fairness, Jim Jones is half a Reuben, half Latino. But his mindset mirrors a mentality that is pervasive among black and brown kids, 45 and younger. Jim Jones ridiculed the black Gucci employee who tried to address his concerns. He demanded he be helped by a white person. This is indicative of the mindset of many black and brown men, young people, boys in America. There is a lack of respect for black male authority. This is no secret. It's discussed and talked about among black men constantly. If, if you think sports franchises and sports teams don't have a profile on the athletes 
and what they respond to, what type of leadership they respond to, what their family makeup. If they grew up in a home with no male leadership, there's a profile on those athletes. Will they respond to male leadership, particularly black male leadership? Corporate media loves to pretend there are no negative outcomes from family dysfunction. The truth is there are too many negative outcomes to list. It's far more comfortable and popular to chastise Roger Goodell for the jobs black men don't land within football than to challenge black people to adopt strategies that put them in position to land those jobs. As long as black men present themselves to the world as believing white men are responsible for our success, we're going to remain poor candidates for high profile leadership positions. Those jobs are going to go to the men who believe they control their destiny. Victims are not leaders. People unwilling to self-examine are not leaders. They're not serious people. If we really want to uh, produce a competitive crop of leaders, we have to commit to producing more black nuclear families. A token black owner and Eric B. Enemy landing a head coaching job won't fix the black family. That may be my best fire starter this week. And I, I, I want to, I'm going to today reach out to Jim Trotter. Doubt I'll hear back from him. Jim Trotter and I used to be very friendly. He covered the Chargers back when I was a columnist in Kansas City and covered a lot of Chiefs games. And I've known Jim for a long time. And, and I respect Jim. But where the media has gone and, and, and where corporate media and where a lot of black people in sports media have gone with racism explains everything. This is dishonest. And I know it sounds good at a press conference, standing up there questioning Roger Goodell, you're tough. Boy, you really went at the commissioner. But we know damn well there are deeper issues going on with us that have to be addressed. And any of us, I, and I don't know Jim, I don't know if he has any religious convictions or not. But any of us that do, and have any understanding about the importance of family structure. We need to cut out the BS and deal with our disintegrating family structure and the consequences of that. We're not producing, particularly in this crowd 50 and under, we're not producing great leaders and we're not producing young people who wanna be led by black men. Those are the consequences of our family structure and this baby mama culture and hip hop culture that we have embraced. I'm looking at Jim Jones, brown, whatever, Latino, what, zero respect, regard for black men. 
letting it hang out and putting a video out for everybody. I got no respect for these clowns. They sent a black man out here to deal with me. How dare they? That attitude and mentality is pervasive among black men and boys. And we wonder why we can't get all the leadership positions we want in the NFL. 70% of the players, black players, 70% of them probably got the same attitude as Jim Jones. Got to quit lying to yourself. Hey, I'm going to change up here. We're supposed to roll out to Rashad. I got a little technical difficulty in my earpiece. So what I'm going to do before we go out to Rashad, I'm going to tell you about Paint, Paint Your Life. When I heard about PaintYourLife.com, I thought, what a great gift idea for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, or graduations. But I figured it must be expensive. <laughs> Not so. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price or combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. The user-friendly platform makes it easy to order a custom-made painting in less than five minutes. If you order today, you can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. Look at this picture of me and Uncle Jimmy. And Uncle Jimmy will be back with us on Monday. Don't worry, have no fear. Uncle Jimmy will be back here. But anyway, uh, look at this. This is beautiful. This is an awesome painting and gift that Jimmy and I will never forget. Be a keepsake. You can have one of these. You don't, if you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word FEARLESS to 64000. To 64000, I'm sorry. That's FEARLESS to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter the most. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Las Vegas and uh, bring in Rashad McCants, former NBA star, former NBA uh, first-round pick, former national champion at the University of North Carolina. Uh, Rashad, I I'm kind of on one today. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I want to start. Is there some sort of issue in your view? Because, Rashad, how are you, 33-ish, 34-ish? 37. Okay. And so what I believe is that like it's particularly acute for black men 45 and under. I think there's a lack of respect issue for black male leadership. Am I crazy? Am I wrong for thinking that? Not at all. I mean, you got to go historically, you got to go stats. Um, and then you just got to look at the examples in reality. And when it, when it pertains to this NFL thing, um, you hit it on the head so many different times about what it looks like perceptionably. When you when you have a perception out there that, you know, everyone that's black has this destructive behavior or lack of structure that comes from 
the household that comes from the father figure. And so, like you said before, if you have these young black males who don't have father figures to look up to, how can they trust other older black males who are attempting to be those role models for them? It's difficult to do that. And I think that that's the trauma we have as athletes and as young adults going into situations without the family unit, we look at that and say, well, why would I trust this guy? My dad wasn't even there. He's not even my dad. And then we get attached to this abandonment where that one guy comes in, he looks like a father figure, he acts like a father figure, but then he disappears because your mom and him had a disagreement of falling out and now it's the abandonment that's happened and it happens over and over again. You deal with it with your coach, you deal with it with your teacher, you deal with it with the, the, the person that was down the street that you had to move to another city with, it's constant. So now you're looking at a situation where who do you look up to that's not in your household, that doesn't give you that structure? And we've been left with the crumbs thinking that we're supposed to be getting something from something we haven't been trained for. The, the, and I know you played in the NBA, uh, but I've asked numerous NFL players, like, okay, y'all get on TV and say the NFL is racist and that y'all treated it in a racist fashion. And then I'll say, how does your owner treat you? And virtually all of them. <laughs> Oh, I love, oh, the owners we had with the Bengals, the owner we had with such and such. The owner, oh, he treated us so well. He, when, when this or that happened with my family, he did X, Y, and Z. And, and I'm like, well, hold on, man. And the only one that I've, I think it was Eric Dickerson, and I don't want to call out the wrong ownership name or whatever. He's the only one that I've ever seen go, no, I didn't like my owner. Uh, I thought they treated us poor. But everybody else to a man has long stories about things that the owner, I'm talking about, and these are guys that played with one team for five to 10 years or whatever. They had great relationships and great respect and stories to back up their affinity for the ownership. And so I, I just, I, is it the same in the NBA? Were there particular owners in the NBA that, you know, I guess I, we know Donald Sterling was, you know, a weird dude, a bad owner and, and you know, a jerk. But uh, I just don't know if I buy that the same group of people that will put 70 percent black players out on the court and pay them obscene amounts of money will then turn around and say, ah, but when it comes to this coach, I'm afraid to hire a black coach and pay him a third of what I'm paying my best football players. I just don't buy it, Rashad. We got to go back to the origin, though, Jason. Now, we talk about inclusion and we talk about creation. The sport of football and the sport of basketball was created by who for who? Okay. Answer that question. Answer that question. For white people, by white people, right? Got you. And so the inclusion happened when there was the allowance to let black people play the sport. That was the inclusion. We're going to include you into these sports and allow you to play. 
at a 70% rate, what percent rate is going to make you happy when you include the coaching aspect? At what point is it going to be 100% coaches, 100% players, and it's still not your league? So let's talk about creation. Why haven't you created your own league if you care so much about inclusion? Because you can't be excluded from something that you created. So I'm trying to figure out how we can go for, all right, basketball owners, do they feel a certain way about basketball guys? Do we have certain relationships? Glenn Taylor was my owner, and he always came came off like he, he cared about us. But he cared about his money. He didn't care about anything else about what we were doing is winning, and if we were losing, how much money he was losing. So if we actually cared about inclusion, and we create our own. We got BET. We got all these different platforms to monetize and leverage. But we keep complaining about Gucci. Why would you complain about going into a Gucci store and getting VIP service when you can create your own clothing line? It's it is mind boggling to me. But when it comes to ownership and, and inclusion and exclusion, create your own. Create your own. You ain't got to beg for nothing if you create your own. Rashad, I like the point you're making. I, I want to take it a step further. Can, and this is like a really honest conversation and point I'm going to make. If I created something, I'm, I, I created Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I've taken steps to make sure that I include people who look like me and who similar background for me. I, 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 and so can I really blame an NFL owner for feeling like, hey, I created this, I'm financing this, I'm part of this. I'm gonna make damn sure that my son, my uh, nephew, my next door neighbor, I'm gonna, people that look like me are included in this. Now, the players, have uh, taken over uh, the on-field deal, no problem with it. But, but again, if, if I'm sitting there saying, I created this, you're not gonna cut me out or people that look like me out of the process of managing, overseeing, and running this. You're not going to do it. I wouldn't allow it, why should they? Oh, man. And you talking about that from a standpoint of, you know, family tradition, keeping it in the in the in the family generational wealth and all of that kind of stuff. Like when you talk about the adoption of a sport and, and bringing in people to play the sport and then all of a sudden you say, well, this is a black and a white thing or a race thing. I don't see inclusion or I don't see the Greeks complaining about inclusion. I don't see the Italians complaining, the Asians, the Koreans, even the Hispanics. We don't hear anything inclusion-wise except for from black people. And it's like our pain point from the history and slavery is so strong that it's all about white and black. We're not complaining about how many Italian uh, owners there are in the NFL or how many Italian players are in the NFL. How many Hispanic players 
are in the NFL. Why are we making this such a white and black thing? I I like to be around everybody. I don't want to be looked at like, oh, you don't like white people because you're you're black. That's crazy to me. And that's where we're going because now I have to be affiliated with these bonehead, ignorant people who believe that prejudice has something to do with racism. And it's two different dynamics. And we need to get off of that because we're destroying clarify the world. That, clarify that. Clarify that. Well, you talk about how prejudice is I don't like the behavior in which you and the people you are around exhibit. Racism, the human race and anything beyond that has everything to do with control, power and wealth and authority. It has no color to it. So when we talk about prejudice, everyone is caught up on the black and white prejudice between each other. When you say say diversity, inclusion and uh, equality, you're not talking about other ethnicities. You're not talking about all of the, the different ethnicities I just named. You're just talking about black people. Why? That's true racism in itself. The power to say that these two ethnicities are the most important, and if they don't get along, we're all dead. It's crazy. It's a good point. I like that. Uh, that was good stuff, Rashad. You know, I made the call to Bree. I thought you'd be good on this, and I was right. <laughs> uh, Appreciate that. That's why it's my show. Thank you. All right, uh, let's go to my go-to doc. If you have been searching for a doctor online to help you out during this pandemic, someone you can trust, someone who is an expert at treating COVID, someone who won't charge you an arm and a leg just to get treatment, then you need to go to mygotodoc.com. You all have heard me talk about my recent battle with COVID and the Omicron variant. It may be weaker than the previous strain, but it's still tough. Many people right now are having a difficult time with it. High-risk patients need meds on hand so they can start treatment fast. Low-risk patients often benefit from off-label meds because they can prevent the long-haul COVID, which can be debilitating. Dr. Saeed Hader has created something wonderful over at mygotodoc.com. His COVID expert. He's a COVID expert. This is all he does. And he's treated over 40,000 patients with zero deaths. With my go-to doc, you can register and ask questions for free. Plus, they connect you to the pharmacies that ship you a full 28 doses of ivermectin for less than $150. MyGoToDoc.com is your go-to source for COVID-19. I encourage you to check them out today. That's MyGoToDoc.com. Com. All right, stick around. Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell. I want to talk to him about Byron Allen being a candidate to buy the Denver Broncos, but I want to start by giving you a chance, Steve, to react to any of my fire starter and just uh, 
this black leadership crisis we allegedly have. Do, do you know Jim Trotter, by the way? I mean, never met him. I, I, I'm certainly familiar with his work, and I do respect what he's done in the past. But I, I thought yesterday was a little bit of grandstanding, to be honest. But but it's interesting as I'm watching that clip. It, you know, Roger White Gilt Goodell. It kind of reminded me of the Southwest Airlines commercial. Want to get away? Because that's exactly the position that Goodell was in. And here's the question. If Goodell, who's a powerful man that's very well paid, but he's still an employee of the owners, people seem to forget that. This is not Judge Landis in baseball after the Black Sox scandal. Okay, he works for the owners and every owner, the way I look at it, whether it's fair or not, has the right to hire and fire whoever they please. I thought it was a little bit unfair to ask Goodell that, hey, how come your owners that employ you, that own their individual businesses, aren't hiring who we want? That, that to me, is an, uh, a question. If you're going to do that, to uh, Mr. Trotter, ask every individual, 32 owners, what is your hiring practices? What is your philosophy? To put that on white guilt Goodell, I, I didn't think that was fair. I, I, I think it's ridiculous to reduce the decision-making down to one element. Well, racism can be the only explanation. And Goodell, you must answer for the yeah. racism of your bosses. Do, do you think, and again, I know Jim a little bit, or used to know him years ago. I just don't think he believes that racism is the lone uh, part of the, the solution, problem, equation. I, I don't think he authentically believes that. You know, he may not, but Jason, I'm seeing a trend the last five, six years, and I guess I'll call this the Jamel Hillization of a corporate media climbing, is that if you take a certain stance that's very liberal or a certain uh, belief that racism is the root cause of everything, and you become, uh, who's that, uh, Kendi, Ibram Kendi, the version of that in sports, well, you rise up the ladder. That if you actually push back against it, two things are gonna happen. Social media is gonna kill you, and specifically if you're black, you're gonna be called coon, you're gonna call self-hater. Uh, you know, Jason, you've probably been called the gamut the last 15 years, right? And so by taking this stance, whether you believe it or not, it is a way of advancing your career. It is a grift in a lot of ways. Mm. Did you just call me a coon? No, I said people have accused you of that, and I think that's wrong, and it, it, it's, it's just bad. It's bad, man. Did, I hate when that happens. Steve, <laughs> did you just use the word coon? Did you just well, use I, the word coon? Uh -oh, can I, I Joe, Joe Rogan you here? You're, you are yeah, Joe can I Rogan. Rogan. But, yeah, but you know why I use it? Because I'm fearless, by the way. That's why I used it, okay? So I can take the heat. There will be no apology from me there, Whitlock. Uh, so Byron Allen is... Mm a comedian and an entrepreneur. The internet says he's worth 300 to $400 million. I, I'm a little suspicious of that. I don't remember Byron Allen as a comedian. I know he's done some entrepreneurial things, but uh, would, would the lives of black people and black coaches and everything, if, if Byron Allen was slapped on as the token face of the ownership of the Denver Broncos, 
Would that improve? Would that be have the same kind of impact on Black America that the movie The Black Panther had? I mean, because things just really took off after The Black Panther came out. Again, going back to our reference to Jim Brown last week, it's all symbolism and, and what is symbolism really worth. But the question is, Jane, I was thinking about this as I prepared for this program, is that does the landmark achievement of the elite or the individual uh, equate to collective progress for the masses? Let's say Mr. Allen gets a group together that is very financially uh, robust, gets other billionaires involved, and they have what is called more or less a black ownership committee. Okay, so that's about what, 10 to 12 people, maybe 25. What about the other uh, millions of people of color and black, whatever the proper term is this minute, does that mean that they have arrived? I go back to 2008, Jason. I'm sure you remember the glorious time that was when one Barack Hussein Obama was elected as the first black president of the United States. And a lot of people looked at that as a landmark achievement. Uh, there was this term called, we are now in post-racial America. Fast forward 12 to 15 years after that achievement, those very same people are now calling America the most racist place in the country, in the world, on the planet, in the galaxy. My view was, well, wait a minute, you had Obama. Again, it was symbolic. And it turns out, I don't want to get too political here, This is I'm not Delano Squires, but it seemed to me that when it came to making steps and having uh, legislation that really helped a group of people, it seemed to be more of the alphabet group than it was black Americans. Boom! So glad uh -oh. you're a part of this show. I'm so glad you listen and follow this show. You just, the Alphabet Mafia, that Barack Obama was the first president of the Alphabet Mafia. Hats off to him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steve, I don't think you can top that comment, so I'm going to let you go. <laughs> one, one last thing, Jason. You brought up Eric Dickerson. Uh, I actually, this is yeah. how big of a Dickerson fan I was. I'm one of 500 people that bought this book in 1986. Uh, you say, why would I buy a book from Eric Dickerson? Well, to me, he was Charles Dickens. Okay, I actually read this book in like a day uh, as a ninth grader at Montebello High School. Uh, you said that Dickerson was the one black player that hated the ownership, and he did with Georgia Frontieri and his henchman by the name of John Shaw. Every year we had holdouts. Guys were unhappy. Draft choices would come in like the, like a week before camp. And you're right. He hated the ownership. In 87, Halloween night, he got traded uh, when he was going to a Halloween party with Jim Gray. I've never understood that. Like, I can understand you and Derek Thomas hanging out. You guys are homies. Dickerson was hanging out with Jim Gray. Worst night of my not night. But this is the funniest part. He gets to the Hall of Fame. First of all, hold on. Stop, stop, yeah. stop. I got to do this. Jim Gray is one of the coolest guys you'll yeah. ever meet. I say okay. that in all seriousness. He may not look the part, yeah. but Jim Gray gets along with everybody. Everybody knows Jim Gray. You'll show up at some party. I once showed up at a party the Maloofs were having, and I thought, remember back when the Maloofs were cool, they owned... Uh, yeah. The Vegas, uh, the Vegas the casino, casino out in yeah. yeah, the Vegas casino and owned the Sacramento Kings. I knew them a little bit, used to hang out with them in Vegas. I show up at the party like, man, I'm a bet you I'm the only, you know, sports writer. <laughs> next thing, I, Jim Gray sitting right next to the Maloops when I walk in the door for dinner. Uh, so I'm just, a, yeah, Jim Gray's a cool guy. Yeah, well, okay, Pete Rose would disagree. But anyway, so the upshot is, I want to wrap this up. Eric Dickerson is giving his Hall of Fame speech in Canton. I think it was like 99. And he actually said, I want to thank the Rams organization and John Shaw. 
wanted to shoot myself. Worst day, worst thing <laughs> ever from my favorite player. Broke my heart. Broke my heart, man. <laughs> All right, we got to go. We got to keep it moving. Thank you. Uh, get your fearless swag like uh, what Steve Kim has on there at shopblazemedia.com backslash fearless. Uh, we're going to bring in an old friend of the show, Boyce Watkins. Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this uh, smoking kit that the Biden administration was going to provide uh, once it got labeled a crack pipe. Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and Biden, they started backpedaling. Uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins. Next. All right, welcome back. <clears throat> uh, we're going to roll out and bring in our good friend, uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins. Uh, eventually, shortly, I'm going to ask him about this little safe smoking kit fiasco with the Biden industry. But I, I kind of want to stay on topic about the theme we've been uh, discussing uh, throughout today's show. And I think Boyce uh, will have some insight because Boyce, one of the things I, I love about your social media feed is laced amongst or mixed in with your opinions about whatever's going on in the world. You love to celebrate your wife, your relatively new marriage, and the family you've constructed. And we've been kind of having a conversation today, not kind of, we've been having a conversation today about the importance of family structure, particularly for black families. I, I you know, being a, a Christian and someone with a biblical worldview, family is the root of all good things uh, and and I see you reveling in that. It, it, I don't even know if this is your first marriage, but it seems like you understand the importance of family, and and it seems like you're making it a point to be a role model and a symbol you and your wife are for other uh, black people and black families. Yeah, well, you know, thank you for the the, the kind words. Um, yeah, uh, the more I study things like wealth, because, you know, that's my background. Um, that's what I do. The more I learned over time that wealth is a team sport and uh, and wealth and power are linked and that uh, that coalitions and, and, and family units and um, and entities of, of various natures, institutions uh, are critical in the building of wealth. So uh, in most cultures, there's there are a few institutions more important and more impactful than the family. Like you go to, you know, you go to Africa, <laughs> family's everything <laughs> in Nigeria, right? You, uh, the Jewish community, family is extremely important. Go to China. Uh, not only is family important, but community is everything. Like they, they put the community over the individual, which is literally the key to their economic power. And so while uh, we can acknowledge things like individual freedom to kind of do what you want and live your life, you have to be part of a unit. And uh, and what's happened in the black community is that uh, it, when we're talking about this racial wealth gap that nobody seems to understand, nobody knows where all the missing black wealth went. Well, you lost probably five to ten trillion dollars in black wealth when they destroyed your families. Uh, there's no group of people that has a lower net worth in America than the single black mother with children. You know, that there's, they have the lowest net worth in America. Uh, the right there with them 
is the single black male that's got a bunch of babies, mamas. Because we know this, right? And I pay child support with my child. And those courts will take you for all your money. You're supporting multiple households. And your kids don't even like you that much because daddy's not available. So uh, it, it, that goes into other factors, like the fact that your children are not protected when the father's not in the house. Fathers are protectors. Uh, these are basic concepts. There's nothing complex about this. The only thing that makes it com- complicated is when you have your so-called liberal allies that are feeding you a bunch of nonsense that that doesn't add up. And then you wonder why your community continues to go backward. Well, it's because you got the wrong allies. Yeah, your allies are, are some would say your allies are your enemies. Boyce, I know I won't offend you by saying this, but sometimes people get offended when I say this, but marriage is a primary business decision. And it's certainly about love, and it's certainly about uh, a lot of other needs being met, but it is one of the greatest business decisions, particularly if you can pull off a successful one, it's one of the greatest business decisions you could make. Yeah, if you ever wanna go broke, um, go through a divorce. Go through a really ugly, messy divorce with a crazy, insane, ghetto partner that wants to destroy you, and uh, that'll, that'll, that's a clear pathway to economic hell. Uh, spiritual hell, just all kinds of hell, meaning um, you know, it, w- it won't just devastate you emotionally, it'll devastate you financially. And this is proven, this, there's data. The average net worth of a, of a divorcee drops by about 70% when they go through a divorce. Uh, because when there's war, you can't really have productivity and prosperity when there's war. War is a destructive idea. So when you're at war with the people that are closest to you, the time you would have spent building things is actually spent destroying each other. And uh, and so so if I'm at war with you, you know, there's no such thing as a winner in a war. There's only the biggest loser. Right. So because you lost more than me, I think I won. But really, I didn't win. I lost and you lost. But you lost more than me because I, I won the war. Right. And and, and this is something that um, that I think people should understand. Uh, Dr. Drew did a great documentary called Divorce Corp, C-O-R-P, and he documents the fact that tens of billions of dollars are made every year just from broken marriages and broken relationships. So uh, so when I learned these things, when I thought about these things, and I, I wrote a book years ago, it was called Financial Lovemaking, where I was kind of exploring these ideas for myself. I said, okay, I got it. That's the missing piece. Uh, relationships, understanding not just how can I pick the right wife and get along with her <laughs> so that we can be uni- unified and work together. But even when I talk to you as my friend, you know, how can I make sure that that despite any differences I might have with Jason, that we can find some kind of common ground so we can help each other out? Because I, I don't want to fight you. you know, I want to build with you. Right. And, and that that's what you know, that's what wealthy people do. That's what millionaires and billionaires do. This is a basic idea. Uh, so so ultimately, I, I hope people will consider that. Uh, and these, this what's interesting about that as well, Jason, is that people don't learn that in school. They're not going to teach you that in school. Uh, they're, they're teaching math and biology, and then they're going to teach you your pronouns and <laughs> whether or not you should be gay or not, right? all this other nonsense that shouldn't be taught in school. Um, I really think that learning how to maintain healthy relationships is one of the key leading factors in your ability to build wealth in this country. I'm a final question on this topic, then I'm going to switch. Uh, we, I had this conversation with Rashad McCants earlier in the show, and, and we were talking about when 75% of our young people uh, are 
being born and raised in single parent homes and, and black boys are being raised without their fathers in the home, that it undermines the confidence of young black men in black male leadership. And mm -hmm. I was applying that to, uh, we love to talk about what NFL owners should do as it relates to black coaches. My argument is, if black players demanded black coaches and had a sincere belief and confidence in black coaches, that thing would change overnight. And, mm. but, but I think our confidence among young people, their confidence in male, black male authority is not where it should be. Yeah, well, you know, um, I learned a lot about the importance of that male role model in the household when I heard about a study uh, where they they went to this uh, area where the elephants were being killed and poached. And the ones that they poached the most were the adult males because they had the biggest tusks. And so the elephants that they were trying to protect and that they took the re to the reserves were mostly the mothers and the children. Uh, and uh, and they so they took all these elephants, uh, these traumatized elephants, because the elephants are very emotional. They get sad when they watch their parents die. So they took all these elephants to this wildlife reserve. And what happens with elephants is they have adolescents, just like teenagers do, and they form they were forming gangs, you know, just like in Southside Chicago. When, you know, so they were be, these elephants were becoming gang affiliated and were running around the reserve killing other animals. They would surround a rhino and beat him up and kill him. And they said, This is not natural. We designed this ecosystem to have a certain balance. The elephants are supposed to be hunting the rhinos and killing them. And what they found was that the factor that led to these elephants engaging in this highly abnormal behavior was the fact that they were missing their fathers. The fathers, the adult males, the OGs of the group were the ones who maintained order by, you know, basically getting them to kind of calm down and not not do things that are going to cause harm to themselves or to other people. And because that was missing, you know, you had all this chaotic violence. So when you go to a lot of neighborhoods around uh, the United States, South Central L.A., what do you got? Gang affiliation everywhere. You go to Philly, you got young people being shot up in the street like crazy. You go to South Side Chicago, gangs, 15-year-olds you know, running around with AK-47s. Well, the vast majority of those kids are being raised by their mama, right? You get 14, 15, you got hair on your chest, you're not listening to your mama no more. It's your father that steps in and says... Don't do that. If you do that, you will go to prison for life. You know, if you do that, I'm gonna kick you in your ass, right? And 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 we talk, we we call that toxic masculinity, but that was something I personally needed from my father to stop me from doing the stupid things that young men want to do. So ultimately, uh, when you talk about that lack of respect for authority, that is huge. That leads to a lot of police shootings, actually. People don't talk about it, but it does. Because think about this. You've been raised by your mama. You've been the man of your house since you were 12. So you you just used to doing whatever you want to do. Well, guess what? You run into a cop who's got a bigger gun than you, and his gang is bigger than your gang, and you get you start mouthing off and acting a damn fool. Next thing you know, you, they, you pop, pop, pop. They're they going to put you down, right? So really what you're talking about is really a matter of life and death. Uh, that lack of respect for authority, it does translate to other areas. Uh, I read the entire bio of the life of Antonio Brown, which he, now this poor guy, he seems to have a lot of issues. But one thing I, I, I did notice with Antonio was when he was being raised by his single mother, he had a stepfather who tried to step in and discipline him 
he got into a physical altercation with the stepfather and ends up punching him out. Again, lack of respect for male authority because he didn't, he ain't never had to deal with that. I don't know where Antonio Brown Sr. is. His father's a great athlete just like him. I was like, where's the daddy at? You notice they don't mention Antonio's daddy. And the stepfather, I think, moved out of the house because you have those baby boy episodes occurring in households all across this country because the young men are supposed to be raised by their biological father. Period. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bonus dad myself, stepdad, whatever the hell you want to call it. I work with the biological father to say, how do we discipline this kid? How do we? And we had to coordinate his discipline as a unit because he was getting out of pocket. Right. Because I was like, because if, if, if I hear this, I'm end up beating him up and I can't do that. I can't beat up a 17 year old. So I need your help. So so these sorts of um, uh, scenarios, I think, could be avoided. If we went back to the basics of saying, how do you choose to lay down and have sex with somebody who's got enough sense that they're not going to abandon their seed, right? That's coaching for young women. They're not getting that. They're they're chasing these rappers and shit. These guys, excuse my French, man, but they're chasing these guys that, 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 you know, these guys that that just aren't aren't even built to to head a household, right? Uh, Then you coach the men. Look, that's your son, man. You know, you're supposed to be there and you pick that woman to have a son with. She's as valuable as the child. Value that woman. Y'all figure it out so that you can give that child what they deserve, which is a healthy, peaceful, uh, well-constructed home. And we're not doing that. We, we, we're going in a whole different direction. And all those dead children that you're seeing out in the street, these kids going to prison, these kids ended up in poverty, these kids ended up uneducated, depressed, on drugs, suicidal, all this other stuff. That's coming from the fact that you're not preserving the most important institution in our community, which is the black family, period. Boys, I need to have you on more often. My God. <laughs> That's how I feel, man. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Let me, uh, we'll end on a a somewhat lighter note because you done dropped the mic here so tough. I almost hate to dirty up the conversation asking you about, you know, this smoking kit controversy, whether the, the Department of Health and Human Services under Biden planned on helping crack users smoke crack and uh, clean needles or what, what what they've backed off of it. The whole crack pipe, handing out crack pipe thing made them back away from it. But what do you think of the whole idea? (laughs) Soup to nuts, I guess. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you, I saw I saw the headlines and I read a little bit of the story about that. And I just what's so hilarious about it? is that all this is happening during Black History Month. That's what's so fun. That's what makes it just ironically comical. During Black History Month, what have we seen during Black History Month? Well, first of all, we saw uh, the Bill Cosby documentary comes out right at the start of Black History Month, right? So we're going to take this person that y'all admire and we're going to rake him over the coals another one more time, you know, or whatever, right? A lot of black folks are mad about that, right? And uh, number two, you saw Whoopi Goldberg get taken back behind the barn and beaten because she insulted uh, you know, the Jewish community with her words. Now, I'm not saying Whoopi, what Whoopi said was right or wrong. That's up for people to decide. But but you saw a clear power dynamic where they were saying, no, you're not going to say things that we don't approve of. It's a reminder that as a black person, you ain't really got no leverage and power out here. You're still you're still partially a slave. Right. Then the third thing is the crack pipe story, which is just yet one of 10 million reminders 
for intelligent black people to understand that the Biden administration is not your friend. I am not here. I will never sit here and tell you that the, the GOP is your friend. They, they've got issues and challenges as well. It's up to people to make that decision. But uh, this weird idea of kind of uh, enabling the very worst of you and, and then claiming that this is some sort of progress or integration or whatever is just flawed. You know, I, and, and here's the deal, man. I think that there are so many the black people who got outraged by this story are the people that I believe are going to be the ones who lead the rebuilding of the community because they can see through the nonsense. You know, they, they understand what drugs did to black people. Uh, most black families were devastated by drugs. And there's a whole history with that. So so I think as, as a community, that zero tolerance policy that some of us have when it comes to drugs, especially serious drugs like crack, uh, that's entirely appropriate because drugs destroy families, drugs destroy people, all these things. So, um, I, you know, I don't know what the details of the plan is. I, I don't know. Maybe there's more to it than maybe the headline was just a, an ugly headline. But uh, it's well, really back just down a, now. Oh, have they? Yeah, it, it's a reflection yeah. of, of how they it's a reflection of how they feel about us. They, they you know, the respect is not there. Um, if people haven't figured that out right now, then that just means, obviously, you might just be a little bit too slow uh, to ever understand this. Uh, but but I thought this is just a continuation of what they've done. You know, like Maya Angelou used to say, when people show you who they are, you got to believe them. And they've shown you who they are thousands of times. But I think that because we feel so desperate and our self-esteem isn't that high and we feel like we have so few options we end up sort of going right down into that little rabbit hole they put us in in every election. <clears throat> and I've just personally said I'm not participating in none of that, period. Boys, great job. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, That was brothers. a great Boys Watch. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're going to let Dave Shannon kind of play the role of Uncle Jimmy and put a bow on everything we've talked about today. Uh, so we'll roll out to... Uh, my brother from another mother who lives in Idaho and is married with seven kids. I know he got something to say about the family. Chocolate knocks. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for Dave Shannon, or as he likes to call himself, Chocolate Knox. Uh, Chocolate Knox, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm going to kind of turn the floor over to you a little bit because I, I think you've been <laughs> watching the entire show. I know you got some thoughts about my conversation about the importance of the black family and how it undermines uh, black male leadership and perhaps is connected to some of the issues we're seeing in the NFL. Let's start there, and then, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on anything else we talked about today. I'm sorry, what'd you say? You said you want to know where I got this lovely swag at? This right here? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I got that over at shopblazemedia.com. That's that's where I got all this lovely swag at. This, I, I'm glad I wore this today because today, boy, you gotta, you don't have to be fearless. You're going to be on here today, man. This is phenomenal. I just took, I took at least two pages of notes. It was so good. Um, you know, th I think the thing that ties us all together, Jason, at the end of the day, because Boyce was on fire. But I think the thing that ties us all together is the fact that critical race theory has messed up where we have decided to place the power at. 
And it has us looking all in the wrong places for the answers to fix the problem, which is why I hate it so much. When you look at what God has done with the family, God has put the power of a nuclear power plant inside of the family so that if anything ever breaks in the system, if you can go back to the family, you can fix all of this. And what I mean is right now we're looking at, oh, ownership for the NFL, right? You got all the ownership. Well, how about this? If fathers did what Venus and Serena's father did, what, um, you know, uh, all the fathers you look back, you know, uh, uh, I'm thinking of Tiger Woods' dad right now. Tiger Woods, Eldridge. Yeah, 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 that's exactly who, thank you, I can't think of his name. But you look at what they did, they saw the problem, and instead of, like, begging the institution to fix it, they said, we're going to fix it. And the Bible says that a, a children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And they said, guess what? You're going to be a tennis player. You're going to be the best tennis player. You're going to be the best golfer. Why come we can't say now, you know, son, my son, you're going to own a football team. And everything that I'm going to do is going to groom you and build you in such a way that you are going to do that. The answer isn't and the power isn't over there in those institutions. The power is in our hands, in our children. That's how amazing fatherhood is. And that's how powerful fatherhood is so that we can fix the problem right here with what we got going on. That's why your, your fire starter was so important, because if we look at that. And we stop wanting a revolution instead of rep, instead of reformation. Revolutions can be toppingly happen all the time. Reformation, reformation changes the hearts of people so that you never have the problem again. And what critical race theory does is give you this attitude for revolution, trying to fix the institution instead of the heart for reformation where the full problem is changed, Jason. And so, man, I just sat there and listened to that. I was like, man, if, if we can place the power again and there's ways to fix the problem, like you, you look at single motherhood right now, you're like, man, that's that's a problem. So how do we get fathers back into that? And it's. This is why Jesus is so important to this story. I'm so excited about this. It's because even with single mothers, there is a way to build strong men. When you come underneath the fatherhood of Christ, in him, he has this room of fathers that are there ready to serve and create the very man that is broken. He himself said he would be the father to the fatherless. So when you come in that culture of Christ, there is this room of fathers to choose from. You got Abraham, you got Paul, you got David, who are masculine men, who are the foundation of manhood. You got Jesus himself. So even a single mother can learn, oh, my responsibility, my duty to my son who doesn't have a father is to treat him with respect and expect him to do things that Put weight on him so he can begin to develop that. Hey, son, here goes a biography on David, how he killed Goliath. This is his heart towards that. Hey, here goes a biography. Go read Abraham. Go read a proverb a day so that you can gain wisdom who was written by Solomon. You know, the wisest man on the world. Fixing fatherhood is not something that's entirely impossible. We can absolutely fix it, but we have to be in the right family underneath the right father to be able to fix those problems. Mm. I knew you would be passionate about, you know, what we were talking about today. Why? And, and, and you've probably already answered this, but I, I, where I started today with my fire started again, I know Jim Trotter, good right. guy, good man. Uh, you know, haven't been friendly with him for several years. I've been off in other places and, you know, uh, he probably sees me as on the other side of the equation. but. But, but when I hear the questions to Roger Goodell and the whole media's 
inference being, man, if we could just improve white people, things will be better for us. And so if we can just cure white people of their racism, oh, that's gonna be the promised land for black people. Why isn't he or corporate media on, you know what guys, don't be dependent on outsiders. If we can just improve you as a black man, as a father, watch what grows from that. Why, why, what, what, what are they missing that seems so obvious to you and me? Yeah, it, it, you're right. Some of it was in what I said earlier, but it's the when I see problems like this and guys who are good guys who are believing some of the, the problems that are existing. I always got to say, what is it that you have to believe about the story to ask that kind of question? Right. What is it that you have to especially good guys, because we got a lot of good guys that are kind of I'm feeling sideways about right now. And it's because they have a broken genesis to the whole thing. They have a broken beginning to how they're understanding it. And because the culture is permeated with this broken beginning, a broken narrative, we all start somewhere in the middle of the conversation instead of starting at the beginning. And. This is why it's, this show is so important because it's breaking the narrative from starting in the beginning to starting at uh, from starting at the middle to starting at the beginning. So, what is it you have to believe to be able to ask a question like that about how the you know how do how do you have to believe about how the world is made? Well, you have to believe that white people really do have all the power, right? You have to believe that these guys that have the institution that's where all the power is. But then to believe that, you have to believe that God has not made the world in a completely different way. You know, one of the things that has been impressive to me about people who use um, uh, Black Wall Street to talk about how horrible things were, they seem to forget how amazing they completely blow past how amazing and what those black people had to understand in order to build Black Wall Street. Those black people had to understand that the power wasn't in the hands of the white folks. And those black folks had a much more difficult situation than we do. And yet they didn't believe the reality of the what the white supremacists told them. They believed the reality of what their fathers told them, that God made the world. And every man is equal before God. And the way that God's world works, that if you put your hands into it and you work the ground, God will bring you fruit and apples and oranges and businesses just like God blessed everybody else who did before. This And so you have to believe that the world isn't made the way that God made the world in order to ask a question like that at the end of the day. Uh, anything else stick out on today's show? Yeah, you know, you hit. Well, first of all, Boyce was on, man. I, I need to know his his pay, his cash pay so I can send him an offering because I was really done after he got done talking to me. <laughs> Jason. But, you know, I was thinking about the whole situation with the government and the crack pipes. You know, them offering crack pipes. Oh, no, we're not offering crack pipes. You know, I when I heard that they retracted the fact that they're not offering crack pipes, I kind of got a little disappointed. I said, oh, so then they don't believe their narrative will work. If they're going to take away the crack pipes, which seems to be one of the biggest problems, I'm like, why don't we not only add the crack pipes back in, but why don't we go ahead and add cocaine and everything else to it, too? <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. How about we not only add cocaine to this, but how about we also, oh, they already got the building for them to take crack in. Why don't we give them a $39,000 shopping spree at Gucci? Oh, let's do one more thing. Let's get them, let's let them stay at the White House while they do all of this. I don't think we're going far enough. See, I, this is the thing, like, <laughs> I understand how everybody is reacting towards this, but 
what this is telling me that they don't even believe their own plan. If they did, they would be going that far through. Our problem with this whole situation isn't that we're trying to hold it back. We need to let their worldview in some point be so consistent with itself that it falls over and then have a, such a structure set up so that when it falls over, we know how to pick it up. And I want to push them all the way to the end on this. Hey, buy them cars, buy them houses, because we've seen this before. They did this to black people before. And this is what Boyce was getting at. In, when they took the, the black man out of the black home, they collapsed the family and they've been giving us gifts to try and maintain our faithfulness to them this whole time. And now they're just the, the government has been the drug dealer for the black family the longest. And it's proven that it hasn't working. Look at our education. It's all broken and destroyed. And we keep sending our kids to the government schools. So, I mean, we just need to go all the way in. You know, let's not stop with the crack pipes. Let's go with the crack. Let's go with the marijuana. I say we do the whole thing, buy cars. Let's get that 39000 shopping. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, why not, man? I think we need to give every person on crack at least $300,000 a month to be able to spend it at a gambling casino. That'll fix the problem. Uh, we'll end on this, Noah, with this question. Uh, my Jim Jones video obsession where he basically is, how dare they send out a black person to help me? They better send some white people out here. Don't send yeah. these one of these blah, blah. And I, I think it's symbolic of a big, of a broader issue that men of color, black, brown, whatever, there's a lack of respect for each other that has to be corrected. Jason, there's a scene in a film called Dark Towers. And in that scene in the film, you have two guys who get in this bus and he's got from an old world, an old, old world. And it parallels this one a little bit. And he sees a girl who's dressed down. She has she's naked. She's got to low cut this and high top that and just naked. And he looks at her and she's wondering why he's looking at her. And she she says, you got a problem? He looks at her and says, you've forgotten the face of your father. And when I see Jim Jones and that whole situation, all I can think of is back in the day when we saw a black man working at any institution that we knew that we don't normally get into, we were taught, my dad took me aside one time, and he wasn't the greatest dad at all, but he understood this, this was part of the culture. Saw that black man, he said, you see that black man there? You don't know how hard it is for him to be able to work in that environment, being who he is, and making money. When you see him, you respect him. I don't care what the situation is. That's the kind of teaching that we used to have in our culture so that when we see another black man in a, in a situation, in an environment that we knew it wasn't easy for him to get there, because if you put all these problems on him and he still somehow rises above it, the first thing that we that's why we got the nod, man. When you walk past another brother, it's the nod. So what's up, man? I respect you. I see what you're doing, especially in that position. And so for Jim Jones to do that, man, he's forgotten the face of his father. He's forgotten what it took for him to get to where he is. He's forgotten that everything he thinks he believes about the institutions, if they're true, the last thing you want to do is disrespect another black man who's trying to tell you what the situation is. And that was the most disgusting thing about it. And never mind the fact that it must be nice to be rich. Because now, I mean, I, to have that, that tirade, I just had my kids look at this. I said, that person right there is somebody who's disconnected from how the world is really made. Well, he was dropping the bag, uh, a big bag, and he didn't get his sparkling water and champagne. Uh, Dave, I hope that someone brings me, could someone bring me some sparkling water and champagne before we get out of here? Or at least play tomorrow. Uh, well, you know, Dave, thank you like, so much. Great job. Yeah, Jason. Sloop, man.
freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all wanna be free We want 